From the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, presented by a Cloud Guru, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. It's just Brian and I this week. Brian, how you doing? I'm good, man. Uh, we are uh, work is shut down for the year, so that's good, and. Uh, get, finish up do a couple of shows here and kind of wrap up the year in uh, in style yeah yeah so we you know for those that have been following along at home for a number of years now we we tend to have a, a couple of end of year shows that we always do where it's just us and and we, we tend to do kind of a year in review wrap-up show and then we tend to do a prediction show and and so this is going to be our kind of the biggest stories of the year and our thoughts on kind of where the industry has gone but before we get into that what's the latest on on Krispy Kreme yeah so Krispy Kreme has been going very well um, I think we're just shy of $1,500 so thank you to everybody who has made a donation to the uh, to the Krispy Kreme challenge in the, in the UNC Children's Hospital uh, for anybody who isn't aware of it or is interested in potentially making a donation um, the simplest way to do it there's there's two really easy ways to do it if you go to uh, the cloudcast.net just go to our homepage up in the very top right there's a picture of us um, having run the race if you click on that it'll take you right to the donations page that's the simplest way to think about it or remember it otherwise if you're uh, if you just want the URL it is uh, crowdrise c r o w-d-r-i-s-e crowdrise.com slash the cloudcast net so it's like crowdrise.com and then uh, our Twitter handle. So if you go there as well, it goes to the exact same page and you can make a donation, $5, $10, $25, you know, uh, $50,000, whatever you want to give to help the kids would be great. Yep. And and just so everyone knows, all of the donations go directly to them. Uh, we don't get anything for just running and being stupid and eating donuts. That's right. 100% goes to the kids, which is which is good. So the other thing, Aaron, today is, uh, and I don't know who, how many people are going to be listening to this, but today is Festivus. So uh, do you have any grievances you want to air about you know the show or just life in general before we get started? Uh, no, I would say probably the, the, the biggest grievance I've had this year is, damn, it's been a busy year. Um, so if anything, both an airing of a grievance and maybe a, a new year's resolution uh, all rolled into one here uh my my uh grievance and also resolution is to actually be on the show more next year <laughs> <laughs> how's that that's good and that may be a good thing and maybe a bad thing we'll find out <laughs> yeah that's good my my grievance i uh when we, we we talked earlier like i was on a plane a lot this year uh i went and got my my annual physical and i shrunk it i shrunk an inch and I, I'm not sure if I was a little slouchy when they did it, but they were they gave me my number, and I was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, hold on a second, that's an inch shorter than I was last year." Like, what in the world? So I, I'm, my grievances with the airline industry, uh, your planes are are shrinking me, and I only have so much. I'm, I'm only so tall, so I don't need any shrinkage. Yeah, well, and isn't that like isn't that what happens to all the little old ladies too? I, like, basically, are, are, I'm I'm now officially a little old man. I'm going to be uh, yeah, it's not good. It's not, I'm going to fit in the overhead bin sooner than later. <laughs> Yeah, well, maybe it's just your body's way of adapting to economy. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I know the smaller planes are coming. So, all right, man. Well, listen, we said uh, we decided this we're going to do this show. We're going to do one more for the year. We decided this show we would look back at uh, kind of the, the biggest. What we saw is probably the biggest stories or biggest trends of the year. Um, you know, kind of go through them. What were they? Uh, not so much as a rehash of them, but like, what do they mean? What do they mean to the industry? Uh, you know, were we surprised by them? Were we? Uh, you know, do we think this is a, is a huge thing for the next year or was this a kind of a one year thing? So where do you want to start? Why don't we start with containers? Okay. Um, 
I'll just kind of throw it out there and go, it's been an interesting year for Docker. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> What's your thoughts on Docker, first of all? And I'll throw mine on top of it. But it's been a really interesting year for Docker. Yeah. I, I mean, the first thing that jumps out at me is, I, you know, last year we used to jump around. We used to joke around a lot that we would say, you know, every event was, you know, sort of Docker, Docker, Docker. And Docker was, it was a drinking game. It was a company. It was a technology and this year, it didn't feel like it dominated the headlines nearly as much. At least Docker, the company, is the, the first thing that, that jumps out at me is it's sort of the technologies out there. Containers are a big deal, but but the company sort of faded into the background a little bit, at least, you know, my, my perception on it. Yeah, and, and I would add, too, so, you know, it's your typical um, enthusiast curve of uh, technology, you know, it went really, really, really big. And then kind of, you know, I wouldn't say went away, but certainly wasn't as big. But it, there's no way that momentum could have in, uh, um, uh, gone on the way it was. But but what's interesting to me, though, is because I don't honestly don't follow the Docker space closely anymore, like I used to. And so from afar, you know, because I didn't go to DockerCon this year, and that was the first time I've missed in a long time. From afar, it almost seems like, yes, they've replaced the, you know, the CEO. They've done a bunch of other changes. It almost seems like a pivot. And I know it's not, but it almost feels that way. Yeah. Um, and, and it also, I mean, we, we've also wondered, too. I mean, they've taken a ton of money. Where's the, you know, follow the money trail? What's really going on there? What, you know, I'm not, I, I'm not saying bad things. I don't wish on bad things. But outside looking in, you just kind of scratch in your head and going, hmm, what's really going on over there? Right. Well, I, and I think you hit on the you hit on the biggest thing, which was they've taken a lot of money and there hasn't necessarily been a, you know, super clear revenue stream, uh, you know, at least in terms of, you know, I, I want to say that they're they're around roughly three hundred million dollars they've taken in in venture, you know, venture capital. And, you know, they do have some amount of revenue. You know, they have customers. They, they bring customers out on stage for DockerCon. But we're not seeing the, the billion-dollar revenue streams that, that have sort of come through. But that, that in essence, is, unfortunately, um, and we've had, you know, we, we had Ben Golub on the show many times. Um, that, I think, was, was sort of his demise, is they couldn't figure out how do you turn all this VC revenue and all this community hype into, you know, a huge revenue stream or... You know, I think they, they may have missed out on a couple of acquisition opportunities. You know, there was talk of a $3 billion, $4 billion, uh, you know, Microsoft acquisition. They apparently, uh, you know, we don't have details, but apparently turned that down. Um, and now they've got, you know, they've got a new CEO who has not been very visible. Uh, you know, he did a few, inter- he seemed to do a few interviews right when he got announced. has been almost non-visible at all ever since that happened. Um, and then the other really big thing they did was they... And this was back, you know, kind of the early part of the year when, when the U.S. DockerCon happened was they took the, the Docker project, the open source project, and, and basically said, you know what, we don't want anybody else to make money on the Docker brand, the name. Um, so we're going to change that project name to Moby. And anything that's called Docker is now going to be our commercial stuff. And everything else uh, that's community related and, and, and so forth is is Moby and a whole bunch of projects that sort of fall under Moby. And so they, they kind of put the community in a little bit of limbo. Um, so that, that part has been, you know, they, they, they had great community, community loved them. They put the community in limbo and then they, they have a new CEO who has kind of, you know, not really seen anymore, which is a very weird sort of state for them to be in. Yeah, no kidding. Absolutely. So we'll be watching them certainly through, uh, 2018 and, and, 
with a lot of interest again, because, you know, so many people have followed them. So many people have really loved their technology and, and what has gone on there. So, you know, it's 2018, uh, you know, year interview, year in review won't be complete without, you know, a follow up on Docker without right. a doubt. Right. Um, and the, let's move on to Kubernetes. Yeah, Kubernetes is essentially sort of the, the flip side of of the Docker story. Um, you know, two and a half years ago, three years ago, you know, I you know, Google came out with this technology. I mean, we had some of the early folks on the show. We had Patrick Riley, we had Joseph Jacks on the show, and we were we were both kind of like, yeah, it seems cool because you know, obviously, Google is unbelievably smart, great technology, but it's it's Google. You know, are we sure they're gonna? they're going to follow through on it? Are we sure they're not going to pull out because they're bored with it or something? And this year basically became the year that not only did Kubernetes get adopted by everybody, but it, uh, you know, it is, it has become sort of the de facto leader, if you will, in, uh, in the container orchestration space and really kind of the container space. Yeah. And, and what's really interesting too, is think about this for a second. Um, you know, we've kind of broken this up and you can kind of see it in the show notes. We have different sections, right? We have container stuff, cloud stuff, infrastructure stuff. We're going to be talking about all of that, but I was just thinking about this as we were kicking this off. Um, what's really interesting to me though, is the influence Google is having outside of Google now. Um, so there's a larger story here of, you know, Kubernetes and Google. There is a larger story of Google Cloud and their integrations into, you know, with other um, companies. And there's also um, I've, you know, of course, I for those that follow me in the in the day job, uh, I'm following the hyperconverged space uh, pretty uh, tightly these days. And, and if you look at the big players in both hyperconverged and secondary storage, you know, it's a lot of Google tech under the covers as well. And so. You know, the 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 Google for everyone aspect is actually coming to be more than people realize. Yeah, it's definitely uh, when you when you really dig into, you know, the next version of infrastructure or the next version of applications. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely out there. It's sort of like and, and uh, you know, I don't know if people would still remember this, but there used to be a, a company called BASF who would have these commercials that would say, we don't make the whatever. We don't make the, the fabric for your jacket. We make it better. Or we don't make yep. the, the stuff that makes your skis go downhill faster. We make it better. It, Google is kind of becoming an ingredient in in trying to make a lot of other things better. Um, the question will become, is that a position they want to be in? Or do they want to be sort of front and center of, of what's going on? So um, I did think that there was sort of an interesting thing. So, you know, on, on the Kubernetes front, and then we'll jump into two other things. Um, you know, we covered a lot of it. Uh, a lot of companies adopted Kubernetes. You know, people like Docker sort of, you know, stopped doing their own. Well, they're still doing their own thing, but, you know, they're adopting Kubernetes. Mesos is adopting Kubernetes. It was very interesting this year, though, um, in Austin a couple of weeks ago at, uh, at KubeCon, is it, it suddenly went from, you know, hey, Kubernetes is doing well. And, you know, there's, there's a few companies that are really leading it. It was Google and Red Hat and, and a few others. And, and then everybody jumped on board. And then the the thing that sort of flipped, I mean, like immediately flipped overnight, and this is the typical open source phenomenon, it was, oh, Kubernetes is boring. It's a commodity. Don't worry about it anymore. Let's focus on something else. I mean, like literally it was, right. it, had been, right. it had been adopted by everybody for five minutes and then the open source community was like, oh, bored. Let's move on. Let's, okay. Yeah. They're not oh interested anymore. Oh my gosh, anymore. everyone's here. This yeah. isn't cool. Exactly. I need to go find something else. Right. Let's go to Gedge now. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, there's a certain amount of, of folks that are both, 
you know, they follow all the waves. It's how they make their living following the waves. And the second something starts to become, it's not, and I wouldn't say Kubernetes is commodity, but starts to approach that, that wave towards commoditization. They're like, all right, I'm out. Well, I, I, and, and I, and I, and I joke, and I jokingly say this, but it's sort of like the Kelsey Hightower effect. It's, I just need to be five minutes smarter than the room. And as soon as the room catches up to what I know, I got to move on to something else so that I can keep giving my talks at events and I can keep sounding yep. like, oh, okay, this, this is the new cool thing. So definitely, uh, the Kubernetes space is definitely, uh, kind of exploding, uh, in that sense. And, uh, we'll see what, where it goes. So what's, uh, and by the way, that's a good thing. Yeah, I just oh, absolutely. Want to be, and I'm, you know, I think it's great that they, to see all of the adoption um, around it, and and you when you really do explore the tech, and it, I mean everything just makes sense. Yeah, right. It it sounds awful, but we've followed a lot of waves in tech, and some of them you're just like, wow, okay, that like I don't know, the tech doesn't make sense, or there's other things behind the covers. When you really start to peel everything back, there's certain tech we've followed over the years. We're like, ooh, wow, yeah, that's not good. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, no, I think we'll be I think we'll be following Kubernetes for a while. If, if for no other reason than it 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 does a lot of things that are interesting for ops teams and it does a lot of things that are going to be interesting for for developer teams. So, even if it it skews one way or the other, it'll it'll sort of fit in our domain for a long time. So, Listen, um, why don't we jump into sort of our, our second bucket of stuff, which was uh which was cloud stuff. Um, you know, obviously we we like to highlight where you know, every every year we look back and go like, where are the three big clouds? Um, where do you where do you see the three big clouds between uh, AWS, Azure, and Google? Sort of at the end of twenty seventeen. Well, so let me start also with something we we probably we talked about briefly the other day, and I thought this was a really interesting thing too. I think it's something we need to start tracking. So think about this, you know, when virtualization was a wave, right? You, you start to get adoption and you get more and more and everyone's starting to grow more and more. And you did reach a point and, and you know, VMware was more than happy to point it out where we got to a virtualization tipping point. Yep. Meaning more thing, more, more workloads, either new ones in development or existing ones, you know, there's different tipping points, if you will, were virtualized than non-virtualized. When do we hit or, and do we hit a cloud tipping point where new workloads become public cloud default or existing workloads start to move and have migrated? You know, will we ever get to something like that where the majority of infrastructure is now in public cloud? And so that's something, you know, a lot of folks are going to agree on, a lot of folks are going to disagree on how do you measure it, when do you measure it, what kind of workloads. But but we can, I mean, we can say this has gone from a you know, multi-millions industry to a multi-billions industry in a very short amount of time. And so you look at, you know, Azure, just it's getting bigger and bigger. And if you look at, uh, you know, if they include the Office 365 revenue, it's, you know, $20 billion or so run rate business. I mean, that's impressive, right? Yeah, in yeah. a decently short amount of time, AWS is, is eight, you know, 18 billion run rate. Um, but, you know, and, and, and Google Cloud, they're not really disclosing a whole lot yet. Um, but it's obvious that they're, they're growing as well. I mean, for me personally, the single biggest thing, though, is, yes, of course, there's a money trail to follow. But you look at the AWS conference. I mean, right. I think... You know, we were at the first one when it was what a couple thousand people tops, right? And now it's fifty thousand ish people in 
five, six years. Like it is just insane. Yeah, it's almost um, like the conference has grown bigger than the than the than the platform itself at some point. Um, yeah, and and by the way, not that anyone at AWS listens to this podcast or has any, you know, we're not influential in any way, shape, or form. But please, for the love of God, don't have it in Vegas again next year. Yeah, yeah, Sorry. we're gonna, we're gonna have to have, we're gonna have to have, we're gonna have to have a whole show about about tech conferences because they're they, they, I think we are at a tipping point with them in terms of what they should be. Um, yeah, no, you're right. I think we, you and I talked about this a couple of days ago. You know, kind of. How do we start to to figure out when is that tipping point happening? Um, how do we measure it? I, I heard an interesting stat, and and this is something that I think we <clears throat> and and any of us who kind of come from either the you know what, what does Andy Jassy call it the old guard IT world or you know legacy vendors or any of that sort of stuff. There was a there was a stat that somebody had quoted that was from one of the analysts term. It was like IDC or Forrester or something, and they basically said, you know, they're they're projecting either in 2019 or 2020 that will hit that tipping point. But the way that we get to that tipping point isn't so much just, you know, like AWS revenue or, or Azure revenue or something. It really is, you know, you have to include, you know, sort of the number of applications and you get into SaaS and SaaS becomes just an enormous part of it. Um, and, and it's, it is this weird thing because the, the SaaS numbers are, are what drive it. So, you know, somebody pitched me a couple of weeks ago. They were like, you wouldn't believe how much SaaS stuff there is. There's everything for, you know, your regular stuff, your HR, your back office things, your work days, your sales forces. They're like, but there are, you know, SaaS applications for construction workers to do planning. There are, you know, uh, ab- other SaaS applications to do, you know, tracking of how much dirt is for construction. And for, uh, you know, like there's a there's an app for basically like every task and every function. And I think that may end up, you know, being one of those things. And and we've always said, like, we don't really know how to measure the SaaS market because once you get past the top eight or 10 companies, you know, the sales forces, the work days, the, you know, some of the comms things like a Skype or something or, or whatever, it is so unbelievably fragmented and sort of long tail that it's hard to tell, you know, what, what is that? What does that market really look like? But well, well, and not just that; it becomes a little bit of that that the 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 Russian nested doll philosophy yeah. of, you know, you, there's a company that does a SaaS offering. Well, that company does this SaaS offering. Well, where are they going to host their infrastructure? Well, right. they're probably going to host it in one of the public clouds. And so, like, how do you measure that, but then also not double measure it? Right, right. Well, and, and, and you know, <laughs> right. and, 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 and so it gets really, really complex really quickly and gets really ugly. But, but I completely agree because the, you know, and again, I, I know I've mentioned this on, on the show before, but, but when I was working for Solid Fire prior to our acquisition, this is years ago at this point, we never ran a single server internally. Everything we did, like you were talking about, you know, Google apps for everything, you know, office related, all of our HR, every payroll, everything was SaaS based. Um, and, you know, if we, you know, we've talked about this, if we ever, ever go to a new company, we would never run a server. Right. Right. Well, we don't, um, you know, we don't for the, for the massive cloudcast stuff either, but, uh, right. <laughs> That's when, right. We, when we take our next huge round of funding, we'll make sure we don't buy any servers. Uh, yeah, no, but I, I think, uh, you know, look, as we close 2017, AWS is still, you know, revenue and, and brand awareness, the big dog. Um, Azure, I, I think we still feel like is the one that is is definitely, uh, you know, on the radar of people who care about enterprisey stuff because they know Microsoft. And, um, you know, I, I know I've heard from a lot of conversations this year where people are saying, you know, I'm in a certain vertical industry and we don't trust AWS, Right, whether it's retail or 
a lot of different things. Um, so I think that's going to drive some business. We've talked about that before. Um, the other one that's it's going to be really interesting to me is, and, and I don't know where this will fit. Maybe this fits in a different category. Um, there's a, we'll wait for it to come out. There's a provision in the new tax us tax laws that are coming out that basically is, is this repatriation thing, right? So it basically, it's like forever large companies, the Cisco's and Oracle's and, and Microsoft's and whatever of the world have kept all this money overseas because, you know, it was cheaper to keep it there than bring it back to the U S and tax it. Um, there's a, there's a, a provision in this new tax law that I read briefly that says like, you can get that one time, you know, bring it back at 15% as opposed to say like 37% or something like that. So it'll be interesting to see if a ton of money comes back into the tech industry and if that impacts, I mean, like literally hundreds of billions of dollars, does that impact kind of, you know, the trend of these, these couple of big, you know, cloud companies? And do we see a Cisco or an Oracle or somebody else kind of reinvigorate themselves? Yeah, that's a good point. It's a good point. You want to move on? Yeah. So let's move on to, uh, let's move on to some of the infrastructure stuff because, you know, we, we've always said like some of the infrastructure stuff is, is boring. Um, you know, we, we try not to cover storage very much on this show. We don't cover things like VDI. We, we gave up on OpenStack two or three years ago. Um, but there are some sort of new trends around infrastructure that I think, um, are interesting and, and definitely worth, you know, following. What, what do you have on the top of your list for infrastructure? Cause this is sort of your domain these days. Yeah. So for me, the, the, probably the biggest thing is you can almost think of this as there's a new blueprint emerging, um, a new architecture emerging. Um, and what I mean by that is, okay, what is a, a infrastructure historically been? It's been servers, it's been storage, it's been networking, you know, throw virtualization on top of it. And that's where we got, you know, V blocks and flex pods and some of these other things that, you know, both you and I were involved in way back when, but now we, you know, we, we're starting to see the rise of, of, uh, hyper-converged infrastructure. We're seeing the rise of, of secondary storage. Um, but what's more interesting to me isn't necessarily, hey, let's take a bunch of commodity components and smush them together. It's the underlying tech of it all. And that's why I mentioned earlier about you know Google specifically. We're, what we're seeing is a lot of these companies you know, have Google tech, have people that have left Google or some of these other companies. And it's more about building these global distributed file systems under the cover um, and then integrating them to a public cloud. And so you can almost think of it as it's completely different. It gets this job done, but in a completely different way. Yep. And then you're also seeing, you know, we used to always, when we used to cover, hey, it was cloud native apps, it was 12 factor, you know, this and that. and But, you know, the infrastructure never matched. And so what we're starting to see is also this, it's almost like three different in my head. I wish I had a whiteboard for it, but uh, you know, three different pools, right? There's a virtualization, um, you know, infrastructure, there's a container orchestration infrastructure, and then there's this secondary storage, which is kind of everything else. Um, but they're all put together in an extremely different way to, you know, achieve a more efficient result going forward. Right. Um, and that seems to be where a lot of the growth and interest are, you know, they, again, the way, I don't know, the, you know, a lot of the <clears throat> new techs like Airbnb disrupting the hotel industry and Uber disrupting taxi industry. It, this seems to be the way the classic infrastructure industry is being disrupted. Right, right. Yeah, no, I know <clears throat> we get a chance to talk to a lot of startups or we get a lot of startups that get pitched to us. Hey, can we come on the show? And um, there, there's definitely a trend that's changed. So, you know, back in the day in the, in the networking space, somebody would say, oh, I, you know, I used to be a, 
such and such an engineer at Cisco or Juniper or something, or, you know, uh, we we sold a company to EMC or NetApp back in the day. We're in the storage. We're going to do the new storage thing. And now more and more, whether it's you know companies in the infrastructure space or they're in monitoring or whatever, they'll say, yeah, our founders are X Google, X Facebook, X you know distributed you know specialized in distributed engineering, distributed computing, um, all the, you know like the the where the ideas are coming from, and then how do you apply them to to enterprise problems are definitely shifting um, from you know people that have sort of solved them in big hardware and are now trying to kind of miniaturize them to somewhat or at least yep. you know uh, you know make them make them applicable to to the other 99% of the world um that's to me that's very interesting um it, it's very interesting to kind of watch all of the the HCI companies you know kind of battle it out which is again the you know the kind of the new competitive front um it does feel a little bit like they're they're all chasing you know sometimes quarters instead of dollars uh because you know the the amount that you pay for for HCI stuff feels cheaper than it did it did for when you were buying servers individually and networks individually and, and big sands individually and so forth. So, you know, it's a little interesting to me when, when you hear folks be like, wow, we did $400 million in revenue. And you're like, you used to announce numbers that were like $4 billion in revenue or, or, you know, or whatever. And <laughs> right, right. so, you know, like I, yeah. I joked, I joked online, uh, you know, Chad Sackage, who we've known forever and is over at uh, Dell EMC, uh, you know, every year he he does a, an end of year sort of wrap up. You know, typical executive. Hey, our company's great. Blah blah blah. And I was like, well, yeah, you, you only had fifteen hundred words in your thing this year. It's it's really eating into your into the HCI business is really eating into your <laughs> even eating into your words and so forth. So it's it feels slimmer, which you know it's it's what it's supposed to be. I mean, that was the original intention of of all this converge stuff was you know make it simpler to to run, make it simpler to operate, and uh, you know and converge some of those kind of you know put the name in the put the uh, the function in the name and the title and so forth. Yeah. And again, you know, we, we've said it many times and we need to have him on again, you know, go, go look at Simon Wardley's research and, you know, on, on commoditization curves and, you know, pioneers and settlers. And if you go look at all of that and you compare it to this model, all you're seeing is, is a maturation of the, the commodity curve. That's all you're seeing here. Yep. Um, and it's going along and, and don't get me wrong. He's not necessarily the first one to come up with it. I just feel like he, he does it in the most easily way to digest it. Um, so let's move on to, to, well, what does that mean for like VMware? You know, it's a great question. I, VMware has become an interesting company. Obviously you kind of can't have an infrastructure destruction without VMware. Um, feels like VMware is no longer a virtualization company, uh, which is, you know, kind of hard to believe after a decade of, you know, everything was virtualization. Every problem was a virtualization problem. Um, you know, they are a, they're a portfolio company now, right? They, they made a, they kind of finalized their big, uh, cloud play with, with AWS. So, you know, what do they call it? VMware on AWS cloud. Um, they talk a ton about NSX. They talk a ton about, the the mobile i think it's called airwatch you know um and and they're trying to talk about containers now and they're kind of doing it with pivotal and um but they no longer talk about virtualization anymore which is kind of strange except in the concept of like they've literally said like the virtualization stuff is so old and legacy you should get out of your own data center and put it into aws's business yeah and and I think, you know, I had posted this uh, with being at VMworld this year and, and attending the keynotes. I thought it was hysterical that, and, you know, very non-subtle that the first day keynote was Andy Jassy on stage with the AWS stuff. And then the day two keynote was um, Google Cloud with uh, Sam Ranji on stage. Right. Um, 
you know, two days, two big public clouds, two big announcements. Um, and it was a little bit, you know, you, you weren't going to put those on the same day and you weren't going to put them on this in the same keynote, but they, <laughs> they, they split those over two days, but, but it also, and you know, it feels like VMware is, is playing multiple fronts. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also feels like the public clouds to a certain extent, some of them are picking their bets already. And some of them are playing multiples as well. So you can kind of come at it from the flip side of that and you kind of say, okay, Azure obviously is Azure Stack, is their on-prem play, if you will. Right. It seems like AWS and VMware are, are pretty tight these days. Um, Google Cloud seems a little fuzzy to me, though. And it, 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 it sounds awful, and I'm going to you know nicely pick on them for a second and go, this just feels so Google Cloud of, th- they feel like they've been, Maybe you know picked a couple potential partners, and the direction's a little muddy, and it just feels like so Google Cloudish at times. Um, <laughs> like they've partnered with Nutanix, they've partnered with Cisco, they've partnered with VMware. Um, so I think they're still figuring themselves out. Uh, yeah, and, and you know, the other way I kind of look at it is, you know, back in the day there was, you know, there was kind of this this hierarchy of you had you had the vendors, and then the vendors would say, well, you know, my way of getting to market is going to go through some channel partners or SIs or something, and you know, and so the, the vendors would say like, here's my direction, everybody needs to follow my direction, and then they would say, uh, you know, I need to find ten partners that will all go off and 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 push my thing, and and they would try and tell the partners like, I, I want you to be loyal to what we do, and. And, and in essence, that's kind of what we're, we're seeing this, this move up a level. So the, the cloud providers are now starting to say, okay, our vision, our architecture is the way you should do stuff. Um, you know, only use our stuff, only, only come to one cloud, only take one approach to things, use this one technology. Um, and, and then they're, you know, they're trying to, you know, find a bunch of, of sort of channel partners, but in this case, they're, they're vendors, um, you know, to, to be the ones that push that out there to them. So it, there is sort of a the hierarchy feels like it's sort of shifting up one level and, and obviously the vendors are trying not to become uh channel partners because there's less money in being sort of a channel you know distributor uh fulfiller and the cloud providers are trying to you know kind of walk this fine line between you know are you going to be locked completely into my cloud or you know in the case of google google's trying to say hey we're the open cloud um you know so it, it will be very very interesting to see kind of how that plays out but it's definitely you know the classic like sort of lock you into my technology let me find as many distributors as i can possibly find a model that we've seen in the past just different names yeah yeah completely and i'll kind of move on here to the the next one i mean which was an extremely hot topic for the year. I mean, there's even been conferences around it, and we we even kind of spun off the podcast here uh, uh, a little bit around it, and that is the concept of serverless. Where does, in your mind, where does serverless fit into all of this, and what is kind of the year in review on serverless? So, uh, you know, I, I think it's I think it's definitely going through a a maturity uh, phase, right? So. It was, uh, you know, the first couple of years, well, the first year or so was, I don't even know what that is, right? Like, like, wow, why do I need a Lambda? And then, and then it became like, okay, there's a conference. And, and then of course we had the, the year or so plus of, of people going like, oh no, there's servers underneath it, which is sort of, you know, as dumb as it's, it, to me, that's the equivalent of the people that like to correct you when you, when you miscapitalize VMware, but it's like, okay, whatever, whatever makes you feel comfortable. Um, and then, and now we're we're starting to see you know kind of two trends come out of serverless. One is, um, you know, the the wider sort of adoption. Like we're seeing more and more kind of use cases come out of it. Um, we're seeing you know more and more 
ways to, to connect it. And then we're also seeing, you know, kind of the early adopters going, oh, there's a difference between serverless and functions as a service. And they're, they're all trying to kind of thought leadership their way into, you know, what does this mean and what doesn't it mean? Um, I, I think serverless is doing fine. Obviously, you know, AWS would, would love you to, to be doing everything in Lambda. Um, and it is, it is amazing how many like office of the CIOs or, you know, CTOs offices will, you will, there will always be somebody. And I, I saw this, I, I heard this no less than a dozen times this year. Somebody would go, yeah, we want to move all our applications to Lambda. So you need to tell us why we shouldn't do that. And you're like, are, are, how much do you understand about the limitations of what this <laughs> stuff does? Like, right. you're not, you know, so it's definitely, you know, rapidly climbing up the hype cycle. Um, there are still some people doing really cool, interesting stuff with it. So it doesn't, it definitely doesn't fall in the, yeah, I'm not sure about this technology. Um, but it's still in super, super early days, even though, you know, some aspects of it, like the serverless conference stuff are starting to become mature. It is still in super, super early days. So Brian, one thing I'll add for anyone that wants to really get information about serverless or follow serverless, um, get in the serverless Slack channel. Yep. Um, I'll have to, I'll have to dig up a link to it cause I've been in it so long. I honestly don't even remember the address. Um, but it has uh, it is just an amazing group of folks there is you know constant communications back and back and forth it, it is amazing what you can learn in it but i completely admit too like a lot of the conversations at times are above my head but i'm trying to learn as much as i can um but if nothing else the one thing i've really learned in in 2017 is you know go figure out the the roots of some of these communities and i would say at least for now um th there is the serverless slack channel and it is it is kind of the core that i found um of a serverless community and in, in serverless education yeah, it's it's probably the best place at this point to sort of go. Hey, I want to I want to cut through the the buzz or the hype and and uh, you know figure out what's real. Um, you know, the the only thing about the serverless community is I think it's still kind of primarily lambda focused. Although, um, you know, like we've said, there there are a bunch, a bunch of other services now that you know can either tie into lambda or do alternative things, which are good. Um, just at a high level, I know like at KubeCon there were I don't know no less than four or five different open source. Uh, implementations that would run on top of Kubernetes. Um, there's OpenWhisk. Um, you know the Google the the, the Azure Functions team. Um, you know is is trying to have a good offer, and Google doesn't seem to be anywhere, which is bizarre to me that they're they're kind of non-existent in this thing. But uh, even if you're only kind of getting it from the Lambda perspective, I think the big thing to this is not to get hung up in the sort of like what's my underlying framework for spinning up a a function or a container or whatever it's like what's the new programming paradigm and that's that's the stuff that that really if you're really into this stuff will you know will kind of differentiate you from from something else yeah yeah completely let's let's move on to stuff we don't understand yeah um, this could be a whole show <laughs> i know <laughs> yeah we, we we limited ourselves to two things today um so, so I, we've always been kind of an emerging tech podcast but but we, you know, we admit it's been like infrastructure emerging tech or, yep. you know, some of these other things. There's so many things out there that is, you know, the next things in emerging tech. And let's be completely honest with the infrastructure emerging tech 
it, it's there's not that much there anymore. And so we've been kind of picking our head up recently and, and tried to with a couple shows this year to go into some new areas. And, um, you know, some things we understand, some things we don't understand. But but like we just kind of came up with some quick topics here. What's your thoughts on on Bitcoin blockchain? Where's your head at with it? And, and more importantly, did you put any money in it? <laughs> So, so before we jump into that, so I, I did a, a quick sort of survey. Well, not survey. I just, I just counted. I looked at the top like 200 tech podcasts for, for Apple. So, you know, we, we periodically look and see where our show ends up, but I was looking. Um, so there are like in the top 200, I think there's about, I don't know, five or six, maybe seven uh, that are infrastructure focused. So, you know, folks like us or the Google cloud podcast or, you know, DevOps cafe or something like that for, for Bitcoin and things that are like blockchain, cryptocurrency, there's probably 20 to 25. And then for things like machine learning and AI and so forth, there's another 20 to 25 that are in there. So, you know, first off, there there is a lot of hype around these things. There's obviously a lot of people that are trying to go, hey, I'm going to get involved with the space. Um, but I was I was shocked that there was that many different things that that somebody feels like, okay, there's a new unique perspective they can have on, on Bitcoin and blockchain. So that, that was sort of the first thing that, that really kind of surprised me the other day. Um, the other one is, you know, I've, I've got a couple of friends who I think invest in this stuff. Um, and boy, were they excited when it was 17,000 or 19,000 or whatever. I mean, like literally a couple of weeks ago. And then I woke up yesterday morning and everybody was freaked out because it was down around like 2000 or 3000 or something like that. Um, and then of course you get the, Hey, it's, it's, it's a bubble. We all, we all knew it was a bubble. Whereas three weeks ago, there were people going like, none of you understand economics. This is not a bubble. Don't worry about it. Um, it is, <laughs> it's a, it's a crazy space. I don't think most people understand the bit, the Bitcoin part of it. The blockchain part of it is different, but the Bitcoin part of it is insane right now. Yeah. Yeah. And so I had some interesting conversations. Um, uh, I went, the last time I was out at, um, solid fire headquarters out in Boulder, Colorado, um, I had some interesting conversations with some folks. I'm going to withhold all names and details. Um, but it was interesting to me of, they had invested in it and they gave me a lot of detail on it and, and why they were investing in it and very much knew that this stuff is volatile, very much knew this stuff can crash at any second, but they're, Thoughts on it were even when it crashes, it tends to come back even more afterwards. Right. And so I was amazed at how in they were long term, first of all. Um, and second of all, I was amazed at how um, and I, I just have never explored this. And this is where we need to get some folks on the podcast about this, how absolutely um, horrendously insecure the actual Bitcoins they are. Um, so in the, the easiest way I have to, to use this is like, OK, you do the little Bitcoin mining and this is, you know, dummy Aaron view of it all. You do a little Bitcoin mining and out, out pops a Bitcoin. It's like a dollar pops out right there. You don't have ownership of it than having physical ownership of it. It's not tied to you in any way. And you know, that money is then worth something. Well, guess what? You know, somebody can delete your Bitcoin the same way can somebody can take your money. Somebody, you know, if you lose it, right, the hard drive, your Bitcoin was stored on goes bad. Your money just went poof. Like, and, you know, people would storm in the, the equivalent of Bitcoin banks and, and all the hackers go after those and either try and take those or delete them or it's just like money. And the amount of insecurity around that, like that's where the emerging tech yeah. probably needs to be. 
yeah, of like how do you put some trust in the currencies once they pop out <laughs> right right yeah the, the only the only couple of things that i, I you know because i've got like an economics background and and you know the only couple of things that have jumped out at me as being sort of interesting is um you know i've heard a lot of security people tell stories and they say look you you need to make sure that you understand how to have an account that has Bitcoin in it because that's the, sort of the new currency of ransomware. So, you know, if you get attacked by something, you you can't write them a check. You can't like, you know, they're going to hold you hostage for Bitcoins. And if you have no idea how to get Bitcoins or how to, you know, pay for them, you know, you're you're in a you're in a world of hurt. So that means, OK, IT, you have to figure that out somehow or your your treasury department or something has to figure that out. And then I think a couple of days ago, they actually announced on, I believe it was the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, which is a you know legitimate exchange. They do all of the futures and so forth. Um, they announced, you know, like Bitcoin futures and a, and a Bitcoin sort of marketplace for futures and stuff so that you could bet, you know, because the thing has always been, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to bet on things going up, but you also want to be able to bet on them going down, you know, sort of like shorting a stock and so forth. So that emerged, I think, last week. And I think that's part of the reason some of the, this volatility has happened because people can now see the other side of the bets and stuff. But, um, but here's the bottom line. You and I have no idea about what this stuff means. We have no idea how it works. And if somebody is really smart about this or you're listening or you have a friend or, you know, somebody like, please let us know. We, we would love to get the most basics of stuff just so we can be somewhat fluent or, you know, understand it a little bit. Yep. yep. Agreed. Um, Agreed. Let's move on to the last one. Now, you know, the show's the show's probably going a little long. Let's, that's okay. Let's that's wrap that's it up okay with... though. It's it's Christmas time because people are driving that's in the right. car with their parents, so they they need, right. they need hours and hours of, of mindless babble. Let's kind of wrap it up with with this last one. Uh, you know, of our ten big things this is our tenth one. Um, AI and machine learning. Uh, we've taken a crack at this one a couple times this year, and and um, you know have some some friends that have uh, been on the show to kind of help us out along the way, but. But completely admit, and to your point, you know, talk about a market that's that that's saturated quickly. Yeah. Um, whether it's people supporting it, people actually doing it, you know, startups and VC funding, like, wow, this one exploded. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like to a certain extent, and, and you know, go back and listen to the show we had with Sam Charrington, and Sam runs an awesome podcast that talks about this all the time. So you know, it, that's that's a great starting source and. You know, folks like Derek Harris have been covering this for a long time. Um, to, to to me, and and you know, I'm interested in your opinion. To a certain extent, the the sort of AI ML stuff feels a little bit like kind of the the cloud private cloud thing did seven or eight years ago. Like literally when we first got started with the show, because on one hand, you've got awesome, amazing things happening in the public cloud, and the people that know how to do this stuff and are you know embedding it in their technologies like do amazing things. And then the flip side of it is. You know, you're now beginning to see every company and their brother that offers anything go. Oh, it's 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 got AI built in, right? And it's doing nothing more than just kind of giving you statistics, basic statistics and graphs, and and they're calling that AI and and so forth. And it's like I don't, yeah, I don't think that's the same thing. I don't think it's what you mean to be talking about. But it's definitely re- reaching sort of a an inflection point of you know real tangibleness versus sort of massive hype just sort of include it because that makes it sound like you're cool yeah yeah well and for me the the biggest thing is going to be um how does this get to mainstream you know in in the the typical thing of like okay you know a, a curve of adoption of you go from enthusiasts to visionaries to you know early majority and all you know you kind of go through this journey right ai and machine learning and we've talked about this before 
how is it going to move past that early entry into the market because it's either a steep learning curve of you need the right people, it's a steep learning curve of you need a big data pool. Like how do you make this consumable at scale? Right, right. Right. Yeah. And, and it's, and it's the same thing that people had like when they were building websites, right? Oh, I have to handcraft the HTML. And then all of a sudden you right. have these, you have these tools that made it super easy for, you know, like the WordPresses of the world. And, um, yeah, the, the other thing that's always interesting to me, the conversation teams always focus on two things. One is, uh, Oh, AI and ML are going to get rid of jobs, which maybe, right. I think they're going to be a component of some of that. And then the one that was really interesting to me was people saying, you're going to have a really hard time in the future believing anything because the AI and ML stuff can make, you know, kind of can augment stuff in ways that you have no idea if it's real or not. And the the example they use, they use like these pictures and you can probably find it on the web somewhere. It was like picture of a cold snowy road. And they sort of ran it through some sort of AI ML filter to say like, Hey, you know, uh, you know, nice, sunny, warm day. And you couldn't, and they were like, this entirely new picture was generated just based on this model. And they're like, you have no idea that that's not the truth, that it's not warm and sunny because it's, and I think that's going to be sort of interesting, especially given the sort of big political climate that we live in and fake news and, and what's real and not real. And um, the, those trends are going to be very interesting to watch. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, um, you know, I, and I, and obviously with the amount of podcasts and VC, like this is where the next big thing is headed. Yeah. Um, because I, again, it goes to what you were talking about, um, kind of an up low, up leveling, you know, all these trends we follow, they all go, go, go towards commoditization over time. But this one is more about just up leveling everyone's game. <laughs> yeah. right? It is, it is a little bit about, you know, freeing everyone up to do more work or to do things more efficiently. And, um, this one will be extremely impactful and I think is the next big trend over, you know, the next five to 10 years. Um, I think this is the next big trend in infrastructure. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's, there's a lot of people that are like, you can't, you know, if, if you're doing say microservices or you've got thousands of IOT devices, like you're never going to be able to manage them the same way you did with people and individual events. And you're going to have to have some sort of, more smartness in there doing that and uh, AI and, and ML and, and, and honestly, like I'll, I'll be the first to say it. Like, I don't know if I'm supposed to say AI and ML or if like eventually we're all going to converge to it all being ML or AI or, you know, I think just even like basic nomenclature needs to get cleaned up a little bit. And, um, you know, should we care? Do we have to care? Does it matter? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Well, listen, right. we, uh, we started off knowing what we were talking about. We're finishing being dumb, which is, uh, I think sort of par for the course for us. Um, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> there's a lot that happened this year. You know, we were, went back and wrote it all down. It was a, it was a lot of big trends that happened this year. A lot of big trends. Uh, but what's, what's interesting to me is how different these trends are. Like, you know, you go back and look at seven years ago when we, we almost seven years ago when we started all of this, right? The trends are completely different, yep. but I, I would say this, you know, these trends are, are exactly why we started the podcast however many years ago of like, all right, there's a certain amount of things we, we kind of saw coming you and I in, in, you know, in our day jobs, it just wasn't quite getting it done. And this was our way of kind of staying on top of all of this and, and, and quite frankly, sharing out what we learn. And this is just a continuation of all of that. So, you know, in summary, I just wanted to say very quickly, thanks everyone again 
uh, for continuing to listen. And, you know, we're still amazed uh, that, that, that folks are, are willing to listen to us every week. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, as always, and I think people are starting to feel more comfortable doing this, but like, send us your feedback, send us your questions, send us your comments, send us your ideas for shows and stuff. We, uh, we're always looking for, for new stuff. And, you folks that listen are, are obviously, you know, curious about it. So if you've got, if you've got interest, let us know. We would love to cover a lot of new topics. And, and like you said, Aaron, uh, you know, we've, we've been on this seven year kind of cycle. Um, you know, some things have gone away and some things are emerging. So, uh, keep us, keep us up to date, folks. We, we want to have areas to go explore and, uh, your input is always, is always really useful. So you want to wrap us up and uh, get us out of here? Yeah. I would say, uh, first of all, uh, thanks for a fantastic, 2017 everyone and, and happy holidays to everyone and, and and your families and we will be back um next week with our um predictions show as well so um for those of you that like the guests you know maybe and you you probably already fast forwarded past this one you might want to fast forward past next week um <laughs> but uh we're looking forward to an amazing 2018 and again thank you everyone for listening and we'll talk to everyone next week Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more podcasts, show notes, and everything social media. And visit acloud.guru for all your cloud training needs.